Hi, I'm Rena Grobe. And I'm Madvi Romani. And this is Misinformed, the podcast for lazy but smart people. Every week we'll be discussing a different trend or topic so you can stay informed the easy way. So, Madvi, what's the topic this week? So last week, Tesla opened a showroom in the Xinjiang region of China and came under a lot of criticism from various people and human rights organizations because this region is basically the center of China's genocide program against the Uyghur people, who are a minority Muslim group in China and who are native in this area. Now, when I say genocide, that's not an exaggeration. Lawyers from an independent tribunal in the UK, led by Sir Geoffrey Nice, who was basically the lead prosecutor of Slobodan Milosevic, recently concluded that China is indeed committing genocide and crimes against humanity in this area. And other organizations like Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, have also stated that China is committing crimes against humanity in this area. This includes mass detention, enforced labor, and re-education camps, torture, enforced birth control, which includes abortions, forced hysterectomies, and devices that basically you can't take out of your body, intense policing and surveillance of the broader population in this area, and religious and cultural destruction against the Uyghurs. As of 2020, it was estimated that Chinese authorities had detained up to 1.8 million people. This number is massive. And the definition of genocide is the aim of destroying a large number of people from a particular nation or ethnic group. And that's exactly what is systematically and brutally happening in this region in China. It's been going on for years, and it's finally getting a bit more international recognition and action now. So just last month, President Biden signed the Uyghur Forced Labour Prevention Act, and he announced a diplomatic boycott of the upcoming Beijing Winter Olympics, and he was followed by some other nations. And just a week before Tesla's announcement, the tech company Intel requested that its suppliers not source goods, services, or labor from this region. And that's because whatever goods come from this area are likely to be made from slaves or forced labor in concentration camps. And into all of this, Elon Musk decided to open a showroom exactly here. He already has over 200 showrooms in China, but this decision is a blatant strategic positioning of profit over people and Tesla is just sending a message and that message is that it does not give a shit about human rights and people being killed, tortured and detained to which basically fuck you Elon Musk you absolute shitbag of a human being and that's basically what I've been raging about this week. Yeah I mean you said it best fuck Elon Musk. My mom really hates him, and whenever she's not paying attention and she leaves her laptop with me, I switch her laptop background to a picture of him, and it makes her very mad, because it always takes her maybe like 30 minutes to realize what I've done, and then I hear her screaming my name from somewhere in the house, and I'm like, haha. But back to the Uyghurs. So maybe just some 
background information on the Uyghurs and who they are and where they've come from. So, as you've mentioned, the Uyghurs live mostly in Xinjiang, which is in the northwest of China. It is close to Kyrgyzstan and Uzbekistan. It's actually closer to both of these countries than it is to Beijing. And as you mentioned, they're majority Muslim culture group. And actually, culturally, they are closer to Kyrgyzstan and Uzbekistan than they are to the Han Chinese, which is the dominant group in China. They are one of China's 55 officially recognized ethnic minorities, and they are recognized as a regional minority and the titular people of Xinjiang. So, what's interesting about the Uyghurs is is that so they speak a Turkish language, and They have attempted to go independent from China twice. So in 1933, they established the Islamic Republic of East Turkestan, but it lasted less than a year, and then the Chinese took over again. And then in 1944, the Soviet Union helped them establish their own country, East Turkestan Republic. But when China went communist in 1948, the Soviet Union kind of turned on the Uyghurs and then helped China take it back. So it became part of. China again, and this is also just kind of fascinating in the sense of that entire area used to be part of the Soviet Union, and even today, Russia sort of has swallowed eighty-five different smaller countries, which are now part of the country as a whole. And so, you know, this area is just in a long list of poor little countries or minority groups who have just been eaten up by larger dictatorships, essentially. So. Kind of sucks, but yeah. So, in 1945, the Uyghurs made up 82 percent of the population, compared to six percent of Han Chinese. But by 2008, it was 46 Uyghur and 39 percent Han Chinese. This is because, starting in the 1950, China saw the potential for another rebellion in this area. So, in order to squash this, I mean, amongst other tactics. They started encouraging Han Chinese to sort of migrate into the area, and what's happened now is that there's been an economic boom in this area, but the Uyghurs have been left out of it, and they're working mainly low-paying jobs, while all the higher-paying jobs have gone to the Han Chinese. And finally, riots broke out in 2009 as the Uyghurs protested this discrimination at the hands of the Chinese government. In these protests, about 200 people were killed and hundreds were injured, and then this led to an even stronger crackdown and control of the Uyghur population. And now we are where we are today, and this is where the Belt and Road Initiative comes into play, which started in 2013 and has contributed to China being even more interested in this area. We can get to the Belt and Road in a second, but. I was really curious as to why China was so interested in this area, and one of the reasons is is because it's rich in energy resources. So Xinjiang accounts for nearly forty percent of China's coal reserves and over twenty percent of the country's oil and gas, and it also accounts for twenty percent potentially for China's wind energy. And this is just the natural resources that it has right now. Yeah, so China is particularly interested in this area right now, as well as all of the energy, of course, because of its Belt and Road Initiative, which is a massive, massive infrastructure kind of initiative that includes sort of fiber optic cables and transport links and all of this kind of stuff. 
and is going to add massively to its GDP and help it basically conquer the world economically. In the last G7, I guess it is now, because Russia was kicked out, all the other nations realized that while they had been looking at the Middle East and messing up this entire area, China had been going around buying up ports like Piraeus in Greece and also funding the building of roads everywhere from Sri Lanka to every almost every single African nation there is. And of course, Africa is very rich in resources. And now China has massive control over world economics and resources, which is key. And um, part of the feeling of like Biden all of a sudden saying, oh, we're going to boycott the Winter Olympics is... I think not because Biden gives really a shit about human rights as such, but because the West has realized that they have to do something in order to kind of counter China's power. And so I feel like even this human rights stance that the US has taken is also for the purpose of capitalism. And the whole reason that all of these people are being detained and everything is also because of capitalism. The whole reason that Elon Musk decided to to open a thing here is also because of economics. So like the poor people who are just happen to be living in this area are seriously, seriously fucked. It is so typical of the United States of America to only get involved in something when it profits them. Like for them to at any point in time pretend like they care about human rights. Like we saw it with Afghanistan, we saw it with Iraq. It's essentially what they did in South America. It's such bullshit on their part to ever pretend like they actually give a crap about other people and not just about profit. We all thought Biden was going to be better. No, Biden's just the same. Like, they're all just the same. All of these politicians are just slimy, weasley people who don't give a shit about anything but profit. And what's happening in Xinjiang, they're concentration camps. It's terrible. What's happening to these people is appalling. And nobody cares because it'll profit them because the Belt and Road Initiative will add so much money, not just for China, but for the world's GDP. Like it's going to increase the annual GDP to like 7.1 trillion by 2040. And Italy has actually been partnered in this development since 2019. And it's estimated that the project will affect 60% of the world's population and approximately 35% of the global economy, and that it will amount for 40% of the total worldwide trade. So it's like, we're literally watching a genocide happen, and people are only pretending to care because of money? Like, humans suck. Yeah, in the end, you know, it's real human beings that are affected by this, and their lives, and their families, and whether they can have children or not, even if it's going to continue like this. But um, there was a guy in the BBC video who was accused of installing WhatsApp, which is banned in China, and watching videos about Islam. This got him detained in 2017 in one of these centres, which are, you know, which everyone has seen for for years from satellite images. He spent 98 days in one of these detention facilities with his arms and his legs shackled, and these chains weigh about seven kilograms, and he still has the marks of them on his body, and the marks of just being beaten until he fainted. They not only use batons, they use electric batons, 
Obviously, he still has PTSD about the whole thing. One time, because he complained about being hungry, he was put into something called the tiger chair, which I think we don't even want to think about it too much. Anyway, after this period of 98 days, he was then put into a re-education camp where he had to wake up, go sit in a classroom, which was separated from the teacher by iron bars, where they taught them like the Chinese alphabet, which you learn in first grade at school. And there are so many testimonies of people saying, you know, they had to wake up, learn Chinese propaganda slogans, repeat them, things like this. It's shocking. You were talking about a Vice video, which actually I haven't seen yet. The Vice video is unbelievable. So these two journalists go undercover to Xinjiang to basically understand what's going on in the region. And they have to film secretly because all of it's not allowed. And they observe it's a police state. There's so much police everywhere. There's, I think they like show shots of all the cameras, security cameras. And you know how they say that you're caught on CCTV in London every 10 seconds? In Xinjiang, there is not a second where you are not on a camera. There are so many cameras, you've never seen anything like this. And there's checkpoints where you have to show your passport at every entrance to major buildings. They sit down at one point when they go to Kashgar, which is this completely ghost town, deprived city in Xinjiang. And they take a short break and they're asked for their passport at least three or four times. They speak Chinese, but it's because the one reporter, everyone keeps telling her, you look like a Uyghur, you look like a Uyghur, but she is a, she's British, she's not Uyghur. Not that you can't be British and Uyghur, but she's British, she's not Uyghur. And they walk by these people who are cooking outside, and they need an axe to chop wood, and their axe is chained to the ground, as is regulation. They're Uyghurs. And they secretly film this, and every, like, I think, twice a day, or, or I think they say three times a day, teachers, street cleaners have to take part in these like security exercises where they have to shout things and like they stand on the street and they have to do these like movements and it's like practicing like a, a killing motion or something. It's just like so bizarre. And at one point they try to get people to talk and they talk to this one Han Chinese woman and she's like, I don't feel bad for the Uyghurs. Like they need to assimilate to to Chinese culture and then they talk to this Uyghur man and they they disguise his voice and they don't show his face or anything and he's like I could get in trouble just for telling you this like they'll come and get me and just you all need to watch this vice video because just understanding the horrors of these concentration camps that these Uyghur people are being put into is one thing but really grasping the horrors of the police states that they are living in and the constant control and just daily horrific pressure that they live under like it's so heartbreaking to watch this and to realize that this is happening in 2022 i think it this was filmed in 2019 but this is still going on and i'm sure that it's only getting worse for these people so the the government keeps a list of 75 behavioral indications that you are becoming an extremist. So people are put into these re-education camps or schools, as they are apparently called, but they're essentially concentration camps, for doing things such as storing large amounts of food at home. The one man was put in for downloading WhatsApp, 
for smoking and drinking and then quitting subtly. For one of the things on the list is, do you store equipment such as dumbbells at home without an obvious reason? Like, just the most bizarre stuff you are put into these camps for. And these, like, anti-extremist laws, you know, it kind of reminded me of when we were talking about Chile last episode, about how the anti-extremist laws were also, like, used to target the Mapuches. And so, you know, worldwide trend, right? Again, we saw it with Afghanistan and Iraq. We have to save people from extremism. And it's always used as an excuse to be just horrible and terrible to people. We have to protect people. People are going to, you know, be vulnerable to terrorism. In the Vice documentary, they talked to a couple of Han Chinese boys outside of a bar or something, nightclub, I don't really know what it is. And they asked them, they're like, have you ever witnessed any terrorism in this area? And they're like, no, we feel really safe here. It's really great here. And you're just like, yes, this whole thing is such a ruse. And it's just so heartbreaking to watch. But I recommend everyone watches this documentary. It's only 30 minutes. It's available for free on YouTube. Everyone go watch it. Yeah, I think the mass surveillance and what is called kind of predictive policing in China is really, really scary. A lot of the details of this totally invasive spying and policing were released in something called the China Cables, which was done by a big alliance of investigative journalists and things like that. I love the Chinese response to this, which is just flat out, these are all fabricated lies. They said there were no detention centers at all at some point where satellite images, clearly, of course, there are detention centers and there are so many witnesses and so many people speaking out about these, that they exist, that it's incredible. And yeah, it's just flabbergasting. And the thing is, just China doesn't care either. It simply doesn't care because it's such a big power and the Belt and Road Initiative is so important to it that it just doesn't matter. It just keeps on spinning the same line internally to everyone that these are terrorists if they are being detained, but they're not. They're just normal people. Like, police are always stopping these normal people and just checking their phones. A lot of companies are compliant in the surveillance, including Hawaii. But even if you just have the word Allah on your phone, for example, that could land you in a prison. So it's really extreme and terrifying. And on that note, here are our three things you can do this week to be a better person. Number one, anytime anyone brings up Elon Musk or Tesla and what a great company it is, point out that they just opened, with full knowledge, a showroom in the center of Xinjiang. Thing two, write to your local MP or politician We need to start building up pressure and letting them know that this is something we care about, we are passionate about, and start getting our governments involved because we can't leave the Uyghur people alone and watch another genocide happen. And thing three, visit the Uyghur Human Rights Project, where you can sign a petition, donate, and get a lot of downloadable resources to help you be informed about the issue and also lobby your politicians and ways that you can volunteer or intern. And in our newsletter this week, we will link to a list of companies that operate in the Xinjiang region so that you can avoid them. That's all from us. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time, goodbye. 
If you like the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also help us by supporting us on Patreon for as little as four euro a month. Visit patreon.com/misinformed for links to all our sources and for our personal tips on what to watch and read. Subscribe to our weekly newsletter at misinformed.substack.com. You can follow us on Instagram at the underscore miss underscore informed or email us your feedback, requests, or just to say hi. Misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.